Welcome back to Fintrepreneur. I'm excited for today's episode. We're taking it in a bit of a different direction than we have in the past. Uh, for those who follow the podcast, you know that we highlight all things finance, fintech, entrepreneurship, and banking. Today is our first time bringing on an executive from the banking space. So really excited to have Jason Charlebois, who heads the small business side of things at Scotiabank. And the other thing that's unique about this episode is we'll also have Kevin Clark join us as a third co-host, given his deep knowledge and background in the banking space and also from Scotiabank. So with that said, let's start like we usually do, which is getting to know you a bit, Jason. So curious to understand a bit more about you, uh, you know, go as far back as you want with that question and let the audience know a little bit about you and your personal and professional career path. Thanks so much. And, and thanks for having me on here this afternoon. I uh, have uh, been a lifetime Scotia banker, which I'm very proud of, and uh, have crossed many different parts of, of the bank. I've led the small business division here in Canada for the last five years. Education background, I did my executive MBA at Queen's. So I was proud to uh, being a part of that program. And, you know, the small business segment is uh, such an interesting part of banking as well as uh, as our society. So it's really given me a, a ton of energy over these last years. And obviously, uh, leading it through COVID was obviously a very unique once in a career opportunity in terms of going through something as significant as COVID was to small businesses and from the banking side, where obviously we had a big role um, interacting with government and uh, and lots of um, stakeholders as as we collectively as a society navigated through. As far as my background in Scotia, I've uh, been in front office roles, head office roles, done some M&A, been in our marketing group, uh, technology operations and product. So I've got a fairly well-rounded background in terms of banking and therefore it, it suits me well to sit in the role that I'm in uh, with the bank currently. Really exciting. Uh, I mean, navigating through the bank is always an interesting thing. And you certainly seem to have covered a lot of interesting parts that, that put you into this unique position. And, I, and I'm and i sort of interested, Jason, and just you mentioned the, you know, the change that, that small business has gone through through COVID and so forth. Do you think the bank has has come to recognize that there's more importance now on the small business as a segment of the bank's customer base than, than maybe before? Maybe you can talk a little bit about maybe why that's the case, if it is, or if it isn't, you know, why isn't it? Yeah, I think, you know, nothing was good about uh, a pandemic. Obviously, that was, you know, a ton of stress on all of us individually, as well as professionally and businesses large and small, you know, suffered to some degree through the pandemic. But for small businesses in the banking context, it definitely illuminated their importance and the value that, that they bring to our economy, society at large, and, and obviously the role that banks and the whole ecosystem of stakeholders that small businesses rely on to be successful. And that I think is uh, is goodness for the segment of of small business in Canada. Goodness for all the entrepreneurs out there looking for support in the various needs, in the various ways that they need support in order to to get a dream off the off the ground and then move that dream through all the stages to hopefully you know achieve their lifelong ambitions, whatever the ambition is for for the idea that started their uh, their entrepreneurial journey. So I think. From my vantage point, for sure, at Scotiabank, small businesses have a much small business has a much louder voice at the table within the bank, and and the value and the importance of of small business owners as part of our franchise is certainly elevated. I sometimes feel like there's very little churn in the space. That once you have a customer, um, your products and services can adequately 
support the the company as it grows and so how do you get in early with with a customer uh, how do you find the customer early to to say you know here's the you've got a big choice here and and um we're talking how do you how do you get them on board early and and keep them yeah well, i think i mean small businesses are unique and and distinct from commercial or corporate entities or larger companies in the sense that the the business owner or business owners are consumers as well so they equally need personal banking products as well as products for their business and and there's a lot of interchangeability between those two especially at the startup phase of, of a business so from a banking point of view it's really important to make it easy for customers to onboard business products to complement the the personal products that they have and or wrap around both pro- personal and business products that'll help navigate that business through and then as businesses scale up and you know gain more employees then obviously they need more standalone business products that don't have guarantee of the owners behind it and the, and the financials of the business can stand on their own and and we graduate businesses up through the commercial bank which obviously Kevin you know well from your sure. past uh, career and and hopefully through the commercial bank we graduate customers up into our corporate banking unit as right. as they become the next unicorns and and next uh, major corporations for our country and, and obviously innovation is so critical to the viability of Canada on the world stage so we've got to feed all of the innovators that uh exist in Canada and give them pathways to start and to grow and then to flourish uh through that growth you know what what's Jason, interesting is is we have a CEO on on the uh podcast here you know david who has from inception been providing credit as as a core product and and really monolistically providing credit as a sole product into the support of small businesses as you know well credit is a is a grounding product base to support the growth of of any business however are there other products and services that you think maybe even come before that or, or are equally important in, in solving for small business owners needs these days well, I think, you know, and that's, you know, one thing that accelerated for sure through the pandemic was businesses recognized quickly that they needed to have multiple channels. A single storefront wasn't going to suffice, you know, given that, you know, in many cases, storefronts were closed for various periods of time. And therefore, the adoption of digital and the adoption of taking advantage of multiple ways of delivering products and services, and then obviously automating and digitizing as much as possible receivables and payables. So I think the banking system plays a big role in terms of providing payments and cash management services to businesses now small and large. I mean large businesses have always required that, but small businesses, you know, had traditionally, you know, operated in cash and coin and check and those traditional ways of uh banking and running your books have started to fade away in new ways of, right. you know, eliminating as much as possible cash and coin, eliminating checks and and right. moving to electronic payments is a big theme and trend. And then connecting those things into digital presence wherever possible so that you can expand the reach of where your business can actually sell. Because mm-hmm. small businesses that might locate in might be located in a in a certain geographic market where previously that was their catchment area where they could generate customers now with the advent of digital marketing and digital storefronts can actually be available to consumers in multiple parts of, of the country or even outside of the country. And that that's really been something that we've seen a lot of over the course of the last several years, accelerate much faster than maybe it would have naturally accelerated. It was okay. going that way anyways, but on a much slower, much slower cadence. Uh, Jason, how do you guys define small business, right? There's a bank to bank, I'm sure that differs, but is it a function of 
of revenue? Is it a function of what they, uh, the services they require from a bank? Just give us a little bit of insight on that. Yeah. I mean, there's, you know, obviously the small entrepreneur business is a fairly standard definition where, you know, you have a sole proprietor or a, or a business that only has one or two employees. Everybody universally, you know, classifies that as a micro business or a small business, depending on the nomenclature. As businesses graduate up in terms of revenue lines and number of employees and then sophistication in terms of the types of products and services they need, then the line kind of, and in different organizations, it might stop and transition into a more traditional commercial bank at different levers. But I would say, generally speaking, in the industry, revenues two to five million and below are clearly considered small businesses. And generally speaking, you know, employees, uh, you know, 50 or less uh, would be in the small business space. However, there are companies that, you know, do a lot of cross border or have some Forex needs or things like that, that uh, may be in that four to $5 million range and would actually need the services or the products offered by a commercial bank, as opposed to a small business bank, just because of the nature of the business that they do. Yeah. Funny story there is when I was starting merchant growth, I needed uh, commercial banking level cash management solutions to be debiting mm-hmm. bank accounts and stuff and offering, you know, the product. But I, you know, was a startup with zero revenue and one employee being me, right? So it was quite the tour of commercial banks. Like I was talking to everyone and pretty much everyone told me to take a hike. So it was a, it was a grind, but eventually through some relationships and hustle, I eventually got some commercial banker to open an account for me, but and then I'm it's getting better, case, David. You know, it's, yeah, it's, it's getting like, better now that yeah. the, the cash management products that that you would have needed then are more uh, universally available now to smaller companies like electronic transfer of funds capabilities and things of that sort. Like our professional segment, dentists use that because they might have payment plans with clients, right? So a dentist is clearly a small business, but they have their specialized dentist who does, you know. Uh, more expensive uh, types of work, they might have uh, payment plans and therefore need an ETF type of capability to be able to debit on a regular basis uh, amount. So, but for sure, uh, you know, when you first start out and you need that kind of a service as a baseline for your business, it's uh, a challenging journey to get approved for that kind of a product when you don't have a, a foundation. It's great to hear that it's easier these days to get some of that stuff. And that makes sense that that would be the case. Yeah, it was 15 years ago when I was doing it. But uh, And it, it's nice to see that the, the definition is not necessarily around the size of the revenue, but it's also around what the needs are. So Complexity, that's, yes. that's also like a healthy direction to be going in with how you segment the stuff. I wonder just a little bit back on the innovation front, Jason, how does the bank really develop or be innovative? Are, are you... Are you listening to the customer? How do you find out what the need is? And then when you sort of hear of the need, is it maybe a partnership to solve for it? Or does it go back into the the back of the bank to say, okay, here's what we need to build? Like what's sort of happening? How do you stay on top of what's what the needs are these days? Yeah, I think it's a great, great question, Kevin. And and the answer is the wide one in the sense of looking at the way we're conducting this podcast today, you know, we're using Zoom technology, we're all located in different places, yet we're having a, you know, a very professional conversation and we might as well be sitting in the same boardroom. So one of the innovations that businesses have really latched onto is being able to connect with their bank in different ways. You know, banks have been very traditional in the sense of storefronts and branches and, you know, needing to go and 
visit your banker in a bank premises. And that is quickly and has changed uh, dramatically in the sense of customers, business owners who are busy now connecting virtually using Zoom or you know Microsoft Teams or pick your platform in with, with their banker, conducting transactions, uploading documents, getting approval for financing, setting up accounts, um, getting advice. So those are that's one kind of example. Um, you know, in the payments uh, innovation space that I talked about earlier, for sure, there's lots of players in that space. Obviously, you know, companies like uh, like yours, David, in terms of adjacent services that businesses need. There's lots of partnering opportunities between traditional banks and and lots of uh, innovative companies that are there to serve the unique needs of businesses. And and obviously, the small business spectrum is so wide in terms of. There isn't one vanilla small business, right? There could be a convenience store, there could be a restaurant, there could be a professional, there could be a small manufacturing stop. Now you have all of the um, the content platforms, you know, Etsy and all these various. So there's so many different ways that uh, that individuals, again, back to my comment earlier around showcasing their capabilities and getting more of a global or at least a national or a, or a regional customer base that was so different than, you know, traditional small businesses, which were very much located in your local community. And they had to find and and earn their customers through local market only activities, right? Yeah. One theme that I feel coming out of some of what you're saying, you know, you mentioned earlier that electronic funds transfer is more easily available at the small business level, for instance. And then you also mentioned Etsy and, and other platforms. Shopify comes to mind. I think it's quite awesome just how much easier it is to spin up like a little business mm-hmm. these days. Like that, that is really inspiring. I find like when you back in the day had to stand up all this infrastructure uh, to yeah. try and get yourself going. I mean, how many ideas probably just never even got to their first customer because of circumstances and challenges uh, to even just stand up the basic you know requirements to be up and running. And you can even incorporate, get all your legal set up and everything through fintech called Owner. That I came across, like yeah. you can, it's just so much easier to get going these days than it was, you know, twenty yes. years ago or more. Yeah, obviously, you know, especially your comment, David, relative to infrastructure, right? If you think of, you know, just getting a computer and a database and software to run whatever it is your business is was a monumental task. In some cases, you know, overwhelming to some entrepreneurs, and now with so much turnkey solutions offered via cloud, right? So AWS kind of started it. And now you have Microsoft and Google and and everybody playing in that space to make almost everything as a service, right? Just like us, if we use Uber Eats, you know, to get food because we don't have time to make it or time to go and buy it ourselves. I mean, that's an example of an as a service business that, you know, there's now hundreds of those, almost anything you need in life, you can get as a service. And generally it's, you know, software running on some of this, you know, modern technology cloud-based networks that just allows somebody without having to have a server and you know a whole infrastructure of technology in their business to be able to actually operate their business. It used to be sort of a feel that technology to the banks was disruptive and we heard the word disruptive a lot. We don't hear that much anymore. We hear more partnership, compatibility, joint builds and stuff. Can you comment on whether you're seeing that in the bank, Jason, do you see the change in mindset of, whoa, stay away, or now it's more open doors? Can you give us examples yeah. of what you might be yeah, seeing? No, for sure. I think, you know, like, you know, one of the friction points, and obviously the purpose 
you know, from my vantage point in terms of the role we play as a bank in providing services to a business is to take friction out of their life. The, the business owner needs more time to run the business, be the chief marketing officer, be the CFO, be the the uh, chief revenue officer, and not be the banker, be the accountant and all that stuff. So I think, Kevin, examples would be partnerships with accounting platforms, right? Whether it be Zero or QuickBooks, right? right. Being able to fluidly integrate your banking transaction data into your accounting system to allow your books to run much more simply and smoothly and allow your accountant to to process things on your behalf and those are you know technology integrations that banks are endorsing and and partnering with those uh, platforms using modern technology called uh, apis which basically allow different technologies to kind of seamlessly connect and through credentials and authentication allow data to move back and forth you hear the term open banking a lot and that's something that's you know kind of an innovation in the way banking operates it's kind of been um kind of led mostly out of the uk from a global yeah. early adopter basis but it's you know coming to other parts of the world and that's allowing other businesses to connect into the bank to allow for information to flow that's trusted information and authenticated and requested by the customer right so there's lots of different ways that you know banks can plug in and support the ecosystem of the needs of customers and and therefore banks are definitely much more agile and innovative now than they were traditionally as it relates to the technology innovations that are happening and it's a necessary thing for us to to be relevant and stay as a necessary part of the small business owners ecosystem Jason what's your view on open banking you know there's been some level of frustration amongst the fintechs in Canada that it's taking a little bit longer than it should be taking. And uh, we were hoping to see something in the recent federal budget and there was nothing in there and so on. But sometimes a bit of a perception that with the strength of the big five Canadian banks, there's less of an incentive for them to kind of get on board. Is that a myth? Like what's your personal view on, on open? Yeah, I, I think, yeah, David, I think that would, that would be a myth. I think there's, there's lots of considerations, you know, obviously li listen to what's going on in society with uh, artificial intelligence now, right? With chat GBT and Google now coming out with Baird and Elon Musk now talking about truth AI. And there's a lot of great things that AI, as an example, will bring to society. There's a lot of risks that AI can bring to society as well. So I think similarly with open banking, you know, the control of customers' data, you know, ensuring that the authentications are there preventing fraudulent. Obviously, banks are constantly under attack really now from various elements of fraud, you know, whether it be cyber fraud, you hear these ransomware attacks, man in the middle, account takeovers. Many of us, maybe some of us on the phone here have had your visa compromised or your identity compromised and money exploited out uh, using some of these same payment mechanisms I'm talking about, you know, in terms of, mm. you know, electronically wiring money now, right from your mobile banking or whatever. So, so there's a big balancing act between the desire for speed of innovation and the need mm -hmm. to have appropriate controls and uh, security around all of that. So I think, you know, I understand the frustration comment, but there's a lot of um, things that have to be kind of um, aligned. And, and Interact is a great example in terms of in Canada, how we have some of these products that have been able to be used by Canadians that, that are leading in the world in terms of how we have a, a network that provides 
innovative and trusted services. And trust is a huge thing in the financial services industry, right? Look at what happened in the US just over the last yeah. month. Yeah. All of a sudden you have collapses of some very sizable banks and then a potential threat of a run on deposits because consumers don't trust the banking system and maybe they're going to take money out and take it out of the banking system. So there's a big balancing act uh, around maintaining trust and ensuring that innovate at the appropriate pace. Yeah, so you, staying on, uh, that, on that topic of, of open banking, uh, Jason, because this is a really key topic that you know we've chatted a lot about uh, on the podcast because obviously it's very relevant to the fintech space. But so is it a bit of a catch-22 in terms of the bank maybe wanting to innovate a little bit on, on the open banking side, but being being restricted by the regulation side that they have to meet that are maybe a little bit more strict in Canada than they, than they are in the US or elsewhere? Or is it internally the bank is just very cautious with data and so on that it's an actually an internal thing? Like, what is the, the, the hurdle, I guess? What's blocking it from moving forward faster? Well, I mean, the Canadian banking system, which has been, you know, kind of showcased, you know, whether it be the 2008 crisis or the recent, uh, you know, through COVID or, you know, the recent uh, events that have happened has been recognized globally as a very well-run financial, stable, trusted financial system. And the reason for that is there is a lot of regulation, a lot of controls, a lot of oversight, which of course does slow down and, and mute a little bit of innovation, but for the betterment of the totality of the um, infrastructure or the, or the industry as a whole. So I think it's um, it's not that anybody doesn't want to innovate. Like There are so many products and innovations that we would love to release to customers, but we uh, have to be so mindful of, you know, we call bad actors, you know, fraudulent entities, people who are looking to exploit uh, negatively the banking system and take consumers' identities, consumers' money, ultimately, you know, the bank having to get involved in those those uh, circumstances. And as I said, if you sit at a dinner table, a lunch table, there's not very many conversations there where you won't have at least one or many people there who have been personally affected by that. So I think it's this balancing act of finding a safe and secure way to do the things that we want to do that make it easier for businesses and for customers and consumers in general to achieve what they want to do with as little friction as possible and making sure that there's enough control in place to make sure that it can't be exploited. Jason, we, we talked a bit about you know trends up until this point, like it's easier to stand up a small business now than it ever was and so on. Let's talk about where the puck's going. What do you see happening you know, in the decade ahead, you know, obviously you're following the AI, you know, situation and, and you're plugged into the, the Canadian small business landscape. Do you think it gets maybe harder from here to be a small business or, or is it, what do you see happening? What I've learned for sure is that uh, uh, prognosticating the future is not a very rewarding career, right? So I think the world evolves, uh, you know, in unexpected ways. And, you know, I think the biggest lesson for small businesses is resilience and expect the unexpected, right? So anybody who's, you know, starting a small business today with a, what I call a, a definitive view of what they think the future will hold is very likely to be disappointed in the fact that the future is not going to unfold the way it planned. If you just look at the economic environment that we're currently in, right? Like a very short time ago, you know, a year ago at this time, interest rates were at still historic lows, right? You fast forward 12 months and now interest rates are at the highest levels they've been in well over 20 years. Yeah, so, I think that's a really honest answer and, and also 
accurate one. And, you know, I, I sometimes get asked, what's your view on the economy, for instance, uh, given that we run a credit portfolio. And when I'm talking to investors, that question gets asked. And the professional economists out there who are paid to do this for a living can't figure it out. And are it's basically their, their thoughts are as good as a coin flip. So I don't expect to improve upon that. But I think the just being prepared for a wide range of potential future outcomes is, is the way to be an entrepreneur. Yeah, uh, scenario planning. You have to anticipate, hopefully, your best case scenario and be ready to seize it and ride the quote-unquote wave of benefit that that could bring to your, your fintech or your startup. And you have to be prepared for left turns and right turns that you don't see. And the advisors around you aren't suggesting are going are gonna to come. And you know, mm-hmm. if you look at the last five years, like every business owner has experienced hard lefts and hard rights that they didn't expect. And those that are still thriving today are the ones that had thought about and prepared for various different scenarios of good growth, bad growth. What would they do in the case of one or the other in terms of scaling up or scaling back? And being prepared for the unexpected curveballs that um, the reality. And I think when we look out from here, hopefully the steadier times are ahead of us. Because if we look at you know the decade before the pandemic, that was fairly steady times, right? The market returns were good, interest rates were fairly stable, there wasn't a lot of movement, inflation was fairly benign through that whole period. And now when we look back, that seems like forever ago because of so much that's changed in um, in uh, in these last couple of years. So hopefully we get back to more stable times again, but but this is a, a very unusual economic cycle that we're in because of the fact that it was created not by normal economic activities, but by a pandemic that we haven't seen in, you know, kind of the modern economic times. We talk a little bit about the compatibility of our, our platform being a, you know, a broader small business lender that tackles some risks that maybe the banks tend to shy away from a little bit and and if we assume you know compatibility amongst us on the on the call today where are the threats to your business Jason you know market shares don't move much amongst the big 5 and and um there's a lot of preventative expenditure to maintain share and so forth who's who's out there that sort of you know bites at the heels of of your business and your products these days well I mean I think the big banks in Canada you know largely have been around for you know, 150 years or more. And, you know, part of that longevity is constantly evolving and adapting. And I think the challenge for banks in this day and age is that the pace of innovation is happening so rapidly because mm-hmm. because of technology, right? There were periods of time where innovation was more stagnant or didn't happen as quickly because there wasn't catalysts. Whereas now there are lots of catalysts for, you know, very fast changes. There's obviously been lots of examples that we use as analogies, the blockbusters who disappeared because of Netflix and, yeah. and uh, you know, the taxi industry who was, uh, you know, greatly displaced by the Ubers of the world, etc. But those are uh, clear examples of traditional industries that could, can, you know, come under duress if, uh, if they're not keeping pace and evolving with the market, with consumer expectations, etc. So I think you'll find that, you know, at our bank and, you know, my peers at, at the other banks are constantly listening to customer feedback, watching market trends and making sure right. that we're innovating. And again, with trust and the safety and security of knowing that you're dealing with a hundred and in our case, 190 plus year old institution that gives customers confidence because mm-hmm. in theory, there's choice for customers to go to other 
avenues for some of their banking needs, but that comes with risk and it comes with some uncertainty. And, and I think the banks you know, play a very complementary role to making sure that uh, a business can thrive and, and succeed through its various growth phases. And that's the other thing, right? A business needs to think about not just its now, but its future and making sure that they build a, a trusting relationship so they can expand and take advantage of the additional products and services that they need. And obviously, companies like yours fill a need for different businesses at different stages of their growth. But those businesses still need a complementary, you know, fulsome banking relationship, in my opinion, to make sure that all of their products and services needs are, are being met. I think it's quite amazing just how strong and great our banks are in Canada. Like, uh, you know, even with uh, the, the things that, you know, you would think are where fintechs aim to disrupt, like through really elegant digital front ends, uh, you know, neobanks are trying to spin up and so on. And I kind of look at that and I'm like, well, but what the banks are offering is like, is great. And it's not, you know, if you really want to build a business, you want to, you want to bring a product to market that's greatly better than what's out there. And, and I, I don't see that necessarily happening. And whenever I see a fintech business plan that's predicated upon competing directly with the Canadian banks, that to me is always a bit of a, you know, concerning point. I think that's a really difficult thing to do. And it's, it's really why from the very beginning, we've positioned our business to provide credit into an area that the banks don't. I don't view our business really as competing with the bank. It's working alongside yeah. them. Uh, and the banks have their constraints for a few different reasons um, that make it hard to extend credit in the way that we do so. But yeah, I, uh, you know, I think it's a tough business plan to go head to head. Yeah, well, that banking is a very expensive business, right? The infrastructure required, the multiple channels that you need, the customers expect all the channels. So even the neobanks and you know people like the concept of digital, but there's still certain types of transactions and certain situations where they want to know that the business they're dealing with, that the business that has their money actually physically exists and uh, you know has multiple channels and ways of, of accessing it. And I think, as you point out, uh, David, you know there are lots of adjacencies where innovators and additional business providers, complementary to banks, can can coexist and partner and and feed the, the whole ecosystem to make the whole thing uh, better. Jason, I, think I, with, uh, I want to just catch a little bit around the current the current economic environment again, just to just because it's always something that's on small business owners' <laughs> minds. Where are rates going to go? GDP had a, like a 0.3 growth rate in February, but we're not having a big dip or a big massive looming dark clouds out there that we might have thought was there a few months ago. How does that change? sort of your views on plans for growth within the small business portfolio for Scotia and other products and objectives that you might like to see into the marketplace of your customer base? Is there a slowdown coming for against the 2023 plan? Or do you feel like we're not in so bad shape as we could have been? What's sort of the, the view from the top here from your perspective? Well, I mean, I think, you know, the view changes uh, fairly quickly. Obviously, I think you know, as we talked about some of the, the regional bank failures in the U.S. a short time ago, that created a bunch of market dynamics that changed what they had forecasted that the central banks were going to do relative to interest rates. And, you know, a few short weeks later, all of a sudden, stability has sort of reemerged for at least this period of time. I do hope that we don't have a, you know, a deep recession. You know, the labor market in Canada is still extremely strong, which in some respects, 
it's kind of weird. You talk about recession, and you talk about near record low all time unemployment rates. It's sort of like, you know, those two things don't kind of work together. Usually record unemployment rates would mean, you know, you need to raise rates more in order to cool the right. economy down as opposed yeah. to lower rates to get more activity in the economy. So I think it's right now, I think our economics team would have a fairly benign view on rate movements over the course of the, the yeah. next um, several months and maybe the whole of fiscal 2023. But as we've seen, any unforeseen event, and, and the world is so interconnected now, you know, these geopolitical events that happen in different parts of the world, all of a sudden, you know, another part of the world catches a catches a cold and, you know, of course. North, North America gets a flu potentially, right? So there's obviously the conflicts that are going on in Europe and then, you know, tensions that exist in some parts of Asia. So I think there's, it's still uncertain for sure. You know, there's no crystal ball that's going to guarantee <laughs> us, but based on where we are right now, it looks like the economy will tip over into some form of a deceleration or negative growth, but it looks fairly mild and probably affects certain industry more than others. Inflation is coming down in some categories, but food inflation is still very high. That affects certain small business industries more than others. Uh, obviously, restaurants struggle because how do they pass along all these cost increases sure. to, to, to customers and still have uh, have the traffic that they need in order to to drive their their top lines and and, and pay all the bills they have, right? So that's a uh, in the, in the small business domain, all these things kind of affect different parts of the small business sector differently because different industry types are more sensitive to different factors. But labor, for sure, is a is a is a is a limiting factor. Like every, it doesn't matter who you talk yeah. to. I'm sure yeah. in your business, everybody yep. struggles to find labor. We've been talking a fair bit today about uncertainty and scenario planning, and I like what you said earlier. It was it was you know 10, 20 minutes ago about scaling up or scaling down. And it, it kind of made it sparked an idea in my head, which is just it's crazy how much we talk about scaling up, right? Like there's infinite number of business books on that topic. Everybody posting on LinkedIn nonstop on this topic. But how often do you hear about scaling down? And I, I think that's just, you know, obviously entrepreneurs are wired to the optimistic side. Scaling down is a bit of a bummer for a title of a book and it's probably not going to sell <laughs> as many copies. But you know, I, I just think about some we've been lending to small businesses for 13 years. I have a lot of friends that are entrepreneurs. And I've seen a fair bit of stuff and I've seen failures, right? And and some of those failures, uh, you know, there was just a product market fit mismatch or some fundamental issue required a pivot, you know, or something, you know, out of its control really kind of like killed the business model entirely. But there's plenty of examples where good fundamental business, and if they were just better at scaling down when they needed to. They would still be here today and flourishing, but instead they got too far over their skis, ended up having to go through CCAA or or, or shutting down. You know, I think there's a, a graveyard of businesses that if they're a little more well-versed in knowing when to spot the signs and how to react to those signs and how to scale down appropriately, that's like a really powerful skill set as an entrepreneur to be able to do that. And instead, I think a lot of entrepreneurs just keep trucking forward and kind of hoping that it'll work out, but that's risky. <laughs> it could work out, but... It could certainly blow the whole thing up. Yeah, I, th I think what lessons that many businesses learned through 2020, 2021, and you know maybe even the beginning of 2022 are lessons that need to be ingrained forever in terms of an entrepreneur's mindset. Because in those cases, the scale downs were forced, right? You know, but but the outcome was the necessary outcome to shed cost in order to 
provide coverage for a period of time before the opportunity to engage and and reemerge with top line and then work to scale back up again. So it wasn't that necessarily entrepreneurs chose that scale down to your point, David, but they were almost uh, leaned into it. But the experience of doing it and seeing, you know, I use an example in restaurants, right? Like many restaurants created ghost kitchens, right? So all of a sudden they realized, wow, there's a big customer base of mine that would happily pick up from me and or take delivery from me. And I don't need to have all this other infrastructure. And therefore, even when the, the restrictions were lifted, they changed their, their operating model to a degree forever because of this this insight and learning, right, around how they could operate leaner and actually drive more net profit. So I think, like all of us, you know, it's the summer coming, you know, we're excited about doing all the things we've always loved to do. And we'll quickly try to forget the last few years where each summer was disrupted and couldn't see your family and friends and you couldn't go do the things you wanted to do. But for an entrepreneur, those lessons are ones that I think, you know, definitely should be, you know, written down somewhere the experience of how they went about scaling down and closing and then reopening, because those are the skills. And maybe people will write some business books on that, I'm sure, to help uh, provide the other the other side, because I do agree with you that, uh, you know, knowing when and knowing when not to is a very important um, characteristic of uh, a business that enjoys a longevity curve. Yeah, it's interesting. So we, we essentially have an entire generation or cohort of business operators that were forcibly taught on the scale down. And I think by and large, they actually learned the lesson and reacted properly. And I think that was because the COVID event was so particularly acute, right? It was Mm -hmm. just like super clear what the effect is and and you had to respond and you learned how to respond. And I guess probably the contrast with some of the examples I gave earlier of, you know, an entrepreneur just trucking forward and ignoring the warning signs. That's, uh, it's it's when it's more gradual, I think that it's harder to spot the warning signs that, you know, it's time to do a bit of scaling down. You know, if your if your revenue goes uh, down 90% in a week uh, due to something like a pandemic, that's a little more obvious that you got to do something. Yeah. Uh, but it's, uh, you know, it's equally important to be able to spot yeah. when it's time to retool, either because your business growth is down or maybe capital markets have changed and it's harder to fund your business. So whatever it is, I think it's important to understand the scale down. That's a very insightful point, yeah. Jason. Dave, I think you you gotta you gotta trademark the name and, and get writing on that book. I think uh, <laughs> I think it'll, it'll sell a lot. It's uh, if only I had the time. <laughs> Jason, you know we're coming up on time here. I wanted to just first of all say thank you so much for joining us. I'm sure you know we'll wrap up in a second, but before we do, I know you said that trying to predict the future is a bit crazy, but you know instead of predicting, the way we try to position this is, hey, you're looking back ten years from now. What would you like to have seen happen in the banking space? In, in Canada in particular, I guess, what would you be proud of that would have happened in the, over the next 10 years? Well, I think, you know, the banking space only is successful if society at large is successful, right? So what I'd love to see is Canada grow, which obviously the, the government is, you know, on that trajectory with, you know, the increases of our immigration targets and and some, you know, ambitions to, you know, see our population hit 50 million. You know, there's a housing shortfall um, so there's a lot of things the next 10 years are going to determine, you know, in terms of the success of Canada, as well as the success of the banking industry to innovate and meet the needs of the society that we all live and work uh, in, be successful, right? So I think, the, you know, the number one thing for banking in Canada is to remain a core trusted provider of advice and something that 
uh, business owners and consumers see as a necessary part of their successful living, right? Uh, you know, whether it be a consumer managing their household or a, or a business managing its business and seeing that the bank is playing a, a relevant and an, a, and an active role in, in helping them uh, and advising them become successful. Number two is, you know, the trends that play out in our country over the course of the next 10 years, making sure that the banking system is there to catch and support and accelerate those trends, the trends that are good trends, right? So whether that be a larger population, uh, you know, more entrepreneurialism, more infrastructure, and because if the population is to grow to the levels that's being discussed, for every million people, you need more of everything, right? You need more doctors, you need more dentists, you need more schools, you need more teachers, you need more infrastructure, you need more housing, you know, so it's kind of like a an infinite wheel of as you the society grows, then all of the services that exist within society need to grow in scale. And hopefully some become more efficient. So you don't need to grow at the same ratio. But that's where business innovation and technology and other things can help, you know, accelerate some parts of that to make it um, you know, a great country to want to live in and a and a country that people can thrive and succeed in. And part of that is the finances of an individual, the finances of a company are critical to the success of of society and banks have a, a big role to play in that. So that's what I would hope, you know, if we're talking again in 10 years and we reflected back in 2033 on what happened from 2023 to then, those would be kinds of things that uh, I'd like to hopefully have seen happen. That was great, Jason. It's awesome to get the perspective of someone sitting in a very senior level in the bank, specifically looking after the small business space, which we have a ton of passion for. And I think we're we're definitely well aligned on on a lot of things like the importance of bringing convenience to the business owner so that they can get back to running their business. You said that at the beginning, that really resonated. You can see that as core to, to our mission as well. And uh, as we both know, small businesses account for the majority of, of GDP and employment, and they also bring a lot of vibrance to our communities. So it's super important to support this group. It's been a pleasure. And, and so really want to thank you, Jason, for joining us today. And thanks also to Kevin as a special co-host today as well. Uh, it's been a great episode. Uh, so thank you for listening in. And until next time, this is Venturepreneur. Venturepreneur.